It's an intimacy to having a conversation when it's just being recorded. And I think as soon as you you video someone or film someone well certainly for me then I do start to worry about you know what's my appearance it like mm. obviously so much of your expression of what you're saying comes across in your body language so you yeah. still have to be very conscious about that and and actually it's just nice just to relax and have a conversation hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better please make me better I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? So I know you, Dave, from uh, the (laughs) University of Southampton podcast conference. That's right. Yeah. You're the Um, headline act. Well, no, I don't think it was the headline act, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so we all, it was interesting. So we all got together and uh, shared our perspectives on podcasting. And that was through an invitation from uh, Stefan Casper at the University of Southampton. And uh, yeah, we got we got chatting there and you gave an excellent presentation, which made uh, everyone chuckle a lot. So yeah, it's good time. <laughs> yeah, well, you did it. I really enjoyed your presentation as well, actually. Uh, it's it kind of very different from mine, but I, I also really enjoyed the way that you were telling a personal narrative mm. as well as a practical kind of guide of how to set up a podcast quite a lot of what we talk about today will probably sort of cover some of that I guess depends on uh, what questions you threw at me right. but yeah I mean I guess I'm just trying to remember when it was was it in September or yeah I'm gonna say the, I'm gonna say autumn, yes it? yeah it was in the autumn for so sure. yeah I mean I guess the backstory to that was I launched my podcast at the end of April I'm just gonna shut this door because it's kind of fun <laughs> Yeah, I should say we're recording um, in the kind of theatre bar at the Yard Theatre. It was a really packed room, yeah. and then they've all got into the theatre. We've got an hour. So when they they may come out at any time, and the background sounds and the kind of there's a kind of there's a nice resonance going on uh, in the room around. Yeah, we're us. kind of like kind in of like a a, cave uh, a trivial yeah. pursuit cheese shaped uh, <laughs> alcove right. wedged in here um, under the seating of the Yard Theatre. So, right, uh, that's kind of, a good place I, to be. Right, I picked this place because it's like got the the most enclosed yes. sort of sonic space and whereas if we were out on the tables we'd have the whole room around us but it, it's giving it a nice echo which yes. I enjoy uh, I know that not everyone is a fan of, 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 of echoes but that's, yeah, that's so their I, problem I, I, I didn't really think of that too much which no, is no. quite bad oh, you shouldn't worry my show's all about background sound and messy sound as as I as I said in my uh, in my talk at the yeah, Southampton yeah. conference well, yeah we had a good debate about that because there were people there I suppose there were lots of different podcasters there yeah the idea of the conference was you know how can academics use podcasting to help share some of their resources for teaching and learning and some people were very much you know old school sort of broadcasting mustn't have any background noise you know must be absolutely top quality in terms of sound and other people you know that for them that's part of the texture of podcasting I think so uh, yeah yeah I, I definitely I like those background sounds as long as you can hear the main conversation and right. it's not an irritant then I think it's nice yeah me too I mean yeah when I get irritated it is when there's a you know a lot of people talking in the background yeah. that I find the most frustrating because it's like it's it, 
it's really hard not to try and listen to both conversations and stuff like that. And I haven't got permission slips from the other conversations in the yes, room, let yeah. alone the fact that you know I don't really want people to be competing to hear my guests. Yeah, I had I did an interview with a lady from the South African government at Web Summit, and randomly her husband's investors were of, of her husband's business were on sat on the end of the table, and so like that was quite a weird dynamic. So I don't know. I've been lucky so far that my microphone hasn't picked up any extraneous conversations but yeah I mean partly it's the style like you said when when mm-hmm. I when I put this mic on the table in front of you oh it's nice it's a nice little mic and it's quite unobtrusive mm. but actually the reason it picks us up and picks up the room is because okay. I have a, I have it set to record the room yeah um yeah. whereas you you're probably you're getting closer yes yeah yeah. yeah yeah and I do that for other podcasts and there's a lot of value in it but I don't find that I can get getting better acquainted style conversations no. by, by shoving a mic in someone's face I mean how do you find that well, it was interesting. So I, did, I was interviewing recently and I, I saw it was quite, it was, you know, an interview where I just kind of jumped on the opportunity. There was a lady who was an IT advisor from the United Arab Emirates. My podcast is about educational technology. So I thought, brilliant, you know, it's a chance to work out what they're up to there. And it's, you know, great to have a, a voice. So I, I went up to her and asked to do it in that way. And she was actually kind of not that happy about having a microphone near her mouth. Right. And um, I don't know if that was I think what it may have been is wanting to do the interview slightly on the sly right. and uh, perhaps having to be a bit careful about representing in that way. So it's it's a tricky one. And then obviously when people get really into the swing of it, then they forget to hold it up and all sorts right. of Right, it makes everyone in the room look at you when you've got a microphone Yes, there. well suddenly also, something interesting is happening and, you know... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's a weird psychological thing you could do with a microphone because whenever I've got an actual physical microphone in my hand, sometimes even that one, which yeah. doesn't even look like a kind of Do microphone. You know it reminds me of something. This is like a little. It reminds me of like a little character, like a little. Yeah. It has did got, you ever used to watch like batteries not included? Right, that kind of thing. It does feel like a little robot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. with its little feet. Um, but the but like I find that, that everyone just assumes you're like with the BBC or whatever. Yeah. They like act like you, and so they, they act like there's a, 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 a film camera there as well. Yeah. Like you just hold a microphone and people are like, like they sort of like do their hair and all that sort oh, of stuff yeah, it's yeah. kind of I get that a it's lot. an interesting thing but it's funny because a lot of people say to me why don't you do a YouTube channel or why don't you do video and it's not really something that I'm particularly interested in A because there's there's an intimacy to having a conversation when it's just being recorded and I think as soon as you you video someone or film someone well, certainly for me, then I do start to worry about, you know, what's my appearance it like? Mm. Obviously, so much of your expression of what you're saying comes across in your body language, so you yeah. still have to be very conscious about that. And, and actually, it's just nice just to relax and have a conversation, so... I, I think know. people are more prepared to do it if it's audio yeah. as well. Like, every time I, when I do, I do another podcast called The Restart Project, and that involves yeah. me being, in, you know, in, in rooms recording people kind of on the, on the, on the, on the hoof, and everyone's always like it's not it's not it's not video is it and I'm like no and they're like oh and they relax as soon as you say it's not a video they just relax and it's great and the funny thing is so I mean we were talking before about launching and sort of a personal story at Southampton Pod I'm trying to remember it was Podcast or Podfest one of those two and so what it was I mean I'd worked in tech events for nine years and then had I guess what is now my two-year-old and it's you know it's quite an all-encompassing job working in in events but always really interesting sectors so convergence areas where technology either meets healthcare or at the moment education 
I was watching podcasting, and obviously it's had its different waves, but right. it was sort of coming coming we're, back quite thick and fast. We're absolutely in the middle of another wave. Yeah. Like, I think it's like the third wave or yeah. the fourth wave, but it's a big wave. It's like different feminisms. and um, <laughs> Right. Yeah, and so I thought, you know, there's this really interesting change happening in education, or certainly a space where people are starting to work out new innovations, and I already had that network from my previous role and could help share what people were doing and help connect them and always with these things so education and technology speak completely different languages you know so offering a platform where you can get the sort of personal story behind things I think is quite useful I sort of made the decision okay well this podcast thing's happening here's this group of amazing people and um, I well as you saw in the presentation I went to a Guardian podcasting course I bought some kit I handed in my notice on Thursday (laughs) went to stay in Glastonbury area not festival went walking in the daytime on the week off and then in the evening just sat down and learned how to use audacity and you know did some fake interviews and downloaded some library music and stuff like that and um, yeah it was really exciting so when I got back I started doing a few recordings and I first of all looked at the story of education in Hackney because it's gone from you know some of the worst education in the country to I think some you know really outstanding now and to what extent education and technology are working together on that so in this borough we have quite a lot of te- high profile tech initiatives so you've got things like Tech City and we're not that far away from things like Here East so I was interested to know like to what extent those two worlds overlapped and then so I had three episodes and when I did my final day of work after three months notice on at the end of April I basically released three episodes on iTunes sort of pressed the red button and um, yeah then I've been doing an episode every Sunday every week since but I guess the personal story was was really about trying to have a bit more work-life balance if there is such a thing (laughs) and what I've probably experienced is that you don't necessarily have more work-life balance but you but you have probably the same amount of work but you balance it around the times and the the situations that you work exactly I guess so you know working in the evening and what I try to do at the moment is work Monday to Wednesday and then evenings and nap time. So this afternoon, if there's a nap time, just get on and do some work and that kind of thing. But it's fun, yeah. And what I was going to say is, like this experience now, there, there, there are many parts of podcasting that you'll know are quite tedious. Um, right. So, Very you know, so. Um, the technicalities of like loading things up and editing you know bits and bobs and like if things don't upload properly all of that irritation working on little technical tricks and stuff like that but then what I find is when you listen back to the edits of something that you may have recorded sort of even four or five weeks ago and like how much sometimes I I even personally really really enjoy listening back to that person's story and all the inflection in their voice and that kind of thing and and there's something quite human about that I think and it's enjoyable if you're in, into that kind of thing so yeah yeah no that's really interesting that's the long rambling version that's true I mean like I remember like at that podcast conference like mm. one of the things I said you know is how boring editing is oh, and yeah. like t- sort of like you know it was because I feel like that really needs to be said because <coughs> yeah. it's like you know we were we, we were quite rightly inspiring the room to make podcasts yeah. and I think that's a great thing and everyone should be inspired to make podcasts but it is not like it's not that it's hard; anyone can do it. But it is—it's time-consuming, yeah. and it can just 
gnaw into you sometimes. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I speak for myself. I know everyone has a slightly different tolerance level for editing. I guess. Yeah, and I, think, I guess it depends on turnaround times and things like that. But I mean, I suppose with all of these things. So whether you're writing a blog recording a podcast there's a craft so you hopefully improve over time and you spend time to you know work out what you like from other people's um, bits and bobs out there but there's no getting away from the fact that unlike a blog if you're listening back to an edit then however long that whole edit is you're already going to use that amount of time at the very least right Um, exactly and then on top like how you you know mold and change it right if you're editing like when I edit getting better acquainted I mean if it's an hour of material it's like four hours of, of work you know sometimes a bit bit. you know so I might get it down to like three or two and a half this is the thing and sometimes when people say oh like how long does it take I, I can't quite really bring myself to tell them the true answer <laughs> I, I think I probably estimate how long it takes in my head and probably knock off like at, at least half because it just sounds so ridiculous right. that I'm like well, probably about this but in my head I'm like you know, that's that big thing. And it all depends on how tight an edit you're going to do and how much you're going to care about uh, the background things or whatever. You know, there's oh, yeah. so many... Like, if I'm doing some kinds of podcast work, it will take a lot... Like, I always say to, to people who... Like, to clients, I guess... Uh, we can call them like <laughs> that. It's it, the, if they want something short, that's going to take a lot longer mm. than something. Yeah, long. it's funny you say that because I edited a podcast. I think it had I'm trying to remember three, three or four, three contributors plus me interviewing. Yeah, then you're trying to balance all those different perspectives, digging out the right bits. It takes much longer. Right. Um, and make sure you give everybody the time yeah. and also make sure, you know, you, you represent them well in how you present them, you know, all that stuff. That's the thing. And I think if you if you try and cram it into sh- too short a, an episode rather than just how long it needs to be, right. then it starts to go into the whole, you know, traditional format of, like, radio right. and that kind of thing where you're, like, chopping it right back. So. Right, and it doesn't feel like life in a way. No. Like, it's not, like that's the, podcasts are quite messy and I think yeah. life's quite messy and I like yeah, yeah. that kind I of I think that's what connection. you said, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. I'm probably just saying the same things all the time um, <laughs> and thinking that they're new ideas. But yeah, the second question I ask everybody is what do you do now, which I guess we're getting into, but when someone yeah. asks you that, it's a bit of a, it's definitely a difficult one when you're a podcaster. What, what do you do now? So what I do now, so I say oh, I'm the founder of the EdTech podcast, so I probably split my time half and half between editing a weekly podcast and the podcast the the focus really um it's got like a mission statement which is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation through storytelling so the idea like i said before is sort of the education sector and the technology sector speak completely different languages they're both i think they both agree that there's room for improvement and then it's sort of trying to work out how to do that to the best effect and so the the point of the podcast really is to get every perspective on there so we have people like educator leaders investors startups blue chips all of this but people also like have interviewed the head of innovation at unhcr so he was looking at you know how do you use technology to get teaching and learning to 65 million people displaced around the world and i interviewed a lady recently who was the global teacher prize winner so she teaches in refugee camps in, in palestine about you know how do you teach kids who've got trauma basically so to get through to them and so it's all different angles um, and then this week's episode is from like an Australian angel investor who's got like a real a real ability to 
kind of indulge in profanity and so and those are always really awesome episodes as yeah, well yeah. because you know it's finding the people that will just say stuff as it is and so you're I mean it's yeah. hilarious yeah. to interview yeah. people like that because it's just everything that comes out is kind of gold dust as well yeah um, and you don't want the kind of marketing angle that's the thing right. I don't know about you but like I find that people started calling me a journalist and I've sort of tried to actively say no I'm not a journalist because I do think there's a distinction and this is probably what sort of debated a little bit about the podcast conference and you know I think journalists are usually uh, professionally trained or you know have the training it's a craft but a craft that has history and sort of legacy like that and and it also has that kind of you know you can see it now the debate going on with things like a press conference in the US and Donald Trump's approach to if people are asking the wrong questions and what that means for the role of journalists in sort of Right, democracy right, and that right. kind of thing their role has, in the free press has been quite integral and perhaps that will happen with podcasts but it's still really nascent it's not a hasn't you know it's still yeah. relatively new so and then I think you know you can do other things with podcasting like you know the swearing or long form content and all of that yeah. so people are always like what do you mean Cause, no no because right. it's compliment like, see and, that's, that's where it would be tempting yeah. to say you were a journalist right because yeah. people know what that is yeah and it's, it's, it, they don't know what podcast it is flattering and it's, a, it's they are saying it's a compliment but I wouldn't feel comfortable next to someone that was trained as a journalist to accept that because it's quite different I think just to go back to your question so if people ask me what I do so I run a podcast on educational technology or education innovation I do a bit of uh, independent work as well so I've helped out a little bit with TS the Times Educational Supplement what was that's how people may know it and sort of edtech startups as well that once they're trying to look at how to kind of go about their business I suppose so you've got more of a portfolio career than just podcasting which yeah, makes sense like I do half or two thirds yeah <laughs> yeah it's hard to make podcasting pay on its own I feel like I mean it's interesting so I've had I guess the podcast launched about nine months ago and right. I have had yeah, so you said April you yeah, end of April yeah April 29th yeah and you were um, headlining the podcast festival by the by the autumn so you were pretty quick work I guess what's different is I guess the thing with podcasts is people do it for completely different reasons yeah, yeah. I think why I was quite lucky is I had this amazing community before and so I had I had I know I talked about LinkedIn it sounds really wanky but like um, you know I had that kind of network as well on there and so and actually, a lot of my posts go out to LinkedIn. Yeah. And I guess there's like three and a half thousand people that follow me on that. And then there's groups and stuff like that. So it meant that when I launched it, I think it probably picked up more quickly than I yeah. was anticipating. But also it's a niche, isn't it? And it's actually, a niche, I think yeah. niche is what or works. Or a niche, or whatever yeah, they say right. in the States. And that works. And like, what? Yeah, right. And that works for podcasts. Yeah, it like does. If, especially, especially something like this. Like, there's a lot of people out there who are educators. There are lots of people out there who are inter- interested in technology. And so this podcast brings those people together. As Definitely. The audiences as well as the And I think uh, the type people of people that are in into technology or innovations are the type of people that tend to be on Twitter or listening right. to podcasts and that kind of thing. Right, well, a lot of it's done through social media. Like, so on the way walking here, because I, I, I walk from, from Leytonstone to the... Oh, uh, nice. Do you go through the park? Yeah, exactly. It's, quite, it's, a, it's an even nicer walk than it used to be. It used, it used to be the quickest way was down by the canal, but today, uh, now, it, now you can go actually through the park. Yes. And it's nice. But I was listening to an episode of, Ed, of EdTech uh, yes. to, to get an idea of like, what the podcast sounds like and what it is. I mean, I remember the first time I heard of it, I assumed it was for 
some reason uh, <laughs> Edinburgh technology. Oh, so really? I remember I embarrassed myself. Awesome as well. I embarrassed myself oh, really? when I sort of I said something to you like, oh, I don't don't know if anybody's in Edinburgh, and you were like, well, I'm not from Edinburgh. <laughs> it was like one of those weird moments. Yeah. But having listened to it, I mean, which one I, did you listen the, to? The, the one I listened to. Maybe this is and this is like you can work out someone's personality type from the one they the episode yeah. they decide. Um, I chose to listen to the the one uh, about w- women in education, uh, women women ed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah Wilson. That's right, Hannah Wilson. And, yeah, like, what she was talking about was, you know, using social media to form communities, to form all these other communities kind of on on different platforms out there. And I thought, yeah, I mean, this makes sense that that people who are looking to educate would would use technology in this way. I mean, I do. Yes. uh, As an artist, I network on on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's massive. I guess it's the it's the worst and the best of humanity, isn't it? Right. I, I wouldn't give it as grand a title of, as humanity, but of yeah. like our traits as humans. So right. you know, it is phenomenal in terms of connecting and amplifying things that you're talking about, yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, it amplifies great stuff, but it also amplifies yeah. Donald Trump. Right? And you get you know <laughs> idiots on there that yeah, yeah. Um, and that stuff's quite scary. Um, but with all this stuff, I think you know. Um, I don't. Do you know Ben Hammersley? Used to he used to write for Wired. Oh right, and, yeah, um, yeah, I think I've Yeah, I think he was the editor there, and he has a really good book I used to like. There called I think it's called Sixty Four Things to Know About Now and Then, and in there, and this book probably came out about six years ago now or something. But the point he made is like a lot of this stuff is so new, so email etiquette and. Twitter and stuff like that we shouldn't admonish ourselves too much because it's still quite new to yeah. work out how to deal with it and so for example like we are constantly trying to battle our inbox as opposed to just being like here's my out of office like don't you know and that is starting to happen but like I think yeah we'll get better hopefully and the ability for example to deal with awful trolls and stuff like that right yeah I mean I, I hope we improve that yeah uh, at least like I don't know it's 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 because I mean it's interesting that because it's like trolling behavior is also something that happens in the real world like we like to think it's just online but it isn't like I mean I you know I I, I you know growing up I was quite bullied at school mm-hmm. and so I'm quite familiar with the fact that people go around screaming uh, <laughs> offensive words at people to their face yeah. as well as online but what online means is that people can do it to anyone from a great distances yeah. with no repercussions and also so there's that whole kind of mob mentality yeah. so it's yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know pe- people and, and that gut reaction so people making decisions very quickly and I think people will start to learn and you know, it'll become taught that, okay, who's like that count to ten thing, you know, like work out who, you know, whose who's opinion is this, who's behind it, like, don't just react on, you know, whether it's an image or a quote or anything, because right. I often think, yeah, that's really bad, and then you think, well, actually, do I actually know that's what was said, and, you know, make it going back. Yeah, it's complicated, like, Mm. working out what to trust. But outside of that journalism sphere, Mm. there's kind of the community element that that the internet can really offer that I I, I imagine you tapped into with your podcast when you were setting up, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I think, well, there was a number of things. So it's that network already had, and then I spent a bit of time just setting up media partnerships. So I guess because of what I did before, and I worked as essentially the the person responsible for content for a large event on education technology. So that event has actually just happened this last week. And I was responsible for a team 
that also researched into exactly what, whether you were from early years or higher education, were the main issues. Right. So it gave you that idea of you know who, which people are influencing this area and what are the main questions to be answered and that kind of thing. Right. From an international perspective as well, and then that was sort of. 500 speakers, 36,000 attendees, right. 150 countries. So I think that also when I launched, I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'd really love to share what people are saying to as many people as I can. So setting up media partnerships with associations or yeah. uh, other places which actually embed the podcast and that kind of thing. So in March, I'm going out to South by Southwest, where they have like an education part of that festival yeah. to go and talk to people out there. And Yeah, so it's really good. And what's amazing is, I think, you know, you do something like that and you launch something independently on your own and it's amazing people's groundswell, you know, 99% of just people willing to support what you're doing. Yeah, Yeah, and that's really amazing. And, And also just random connections that you find afterwards. So, for example, finding out the UK Podcast Association based on the Isle of Wight, or Joe Dale, who's got 19,000 Twitter followers around education technology. I did a podcast interview with him because I looked at his profile and thought, oh, wow, he's on the Isle of Wight. So then went back and we recorded a podcast interview in the pub on the Isle of Wight where it's like a well-known pub. And I found out that he took over from my French teacher in middle school. And just like really random (laughs) connections. And so there seems to be be a lot of podcasting activity on the Isle of Wight. Right. Yeah, I mean, because you like to kind of, when you do your show, like Mm. at least in the the episode I listen to, you like to do what I kind of like to do, which is kind of like find connections between you and and the person you're talking to. and 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 so... I mean, I was going to kind of surprise you by going, you grew up on the Isle of Wight, because I heard that in that conversation. But now you've, yeah, I know, not, yeah, right. Yeah, you, you did know that, but I was going to kind of like yeah. appear to have done good research, but you've, you've beat me to it by mentioning the Isle of Wight. You wouldn't have even found that out on my LinkedIn profile either, so <laughs> that is good research. Yeah, no, I, I grew up there. I uh, It's funny, I never thought I'd live in London. I thought London was like an awful place full of like... Uh, the evils of society and uh, I think you know it's growing I mean, you're not 100% wrong no right. that's true but then there are lots of evil things that happen in the countryside <laughs> absolutely well. um, yeah yeah um, I've lived in the countryside so yeah yeah and I think um <laughs> But yeah, no, I never thought I'd live here. And then I grew up there, had an amazing um, childhood, just basically the old school of like open the door, come back, you know, when it's dark kind of thing, feral childhood. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. great. Um, and well, it's funny because now I look at education and I ask my mum and dad sometimes, like, what made you make this decision or that decision? And I think they were quite, they were kind of of the mindset that, you know, as long as things aren't awful, like, in terms of your schooling, then if you teach your children to like just work hard, you know, and you help them at home, then it's kind of fine. Because the Isle of Wight gets a lot of flack now, and was in the sort of national press as the officer chairman David Hoare, what was before he got sacked for saying this, mentioned that the Isle of Wight was sort of a ghetto as of education. And what he meant, I think, I could see where he was coming from, but it was more because he said, you know, most people know the Isle of Wight from sailing, and obviously that's in his circles. Right. Um, so it didn't go down too well. Um, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, no. So, but yeah, no, it was great. And I mean, I've been to the Isle of Wight a couple of times when I was a kid because I had family friends who lived there. So I've, I've seen, I've been there. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like anywhere, I'm sure it's not beautiful everywhere. No. Um, <laughs> my general rule, and this is a shame as well, but so you've got the Isle of Wight, it's like a diamond if you think of the shape right in the middle you've got the 
the, the greatest metropolis, which is Newport. However, unfortunately, whoever's doing the town planning there has sort of tried to develop in, in a scale that isn't really relevant for like a small rural conurbation. So, you know, you've got these massive Cine World complexes. And I mean, I remember, and this is hilarious, but when I was at school, the first escalator being put in on the Isle of Wight. And this is not a lie, like all the school kids went on the escalator, which is that BHS. <laughs> I think my, yeah, and, uh, but the point being that, yeah, so that town is a bit of a shame because I think, you know, if you're the Isle of Wight, you need to kind of probably promote the fact that it is, you know, it's not cutting edge necessarily. There's probably interesting things going on there. Like I know in terms of they make the, uh, what they called the, on a wind turbine, the pieces. <laughs> The, well, so what, the propeller type? Yeah, the right, propellers. Right, right. So they do have te- you know, tech stuff happening over there as well. But anyway, so my advice is don't go to Newport because it's like a, it's not really that great. Um, but the, the other places are really beautiful. I think what's a shame is, and this is quite well known, but like the island, that, that link is like one of the most expensive uh, waterways in Europe to travel across. And as a result, there's a bit of a monopoly among the ferry operators. And so I think that slows everything down in terms of opportunity and right. yeah, maybe that maybe that's on purpose, I don't know. And then they did have festival, which is where I met my husband. That's just moved, and so I think you know in terms of a lot of the costs of bringing everything over. Right. So yeah, it was beautiful. What was really funny is like when you know my cousins used to dig at me and make fun and about the Isle of Wight being really backward and all of that stuff. And when I was younger, I was just like, I don't get it. Like why why do people always wind you up about this? Because that was the world I knew. Yeah. And then as I started to explore the world, like every time I came back afterwards would get like, like I'd be more aware that it would feel slightly stranger and slightly right. stranger. And, uh, I, mean, I think that, that worked. Like when, you don't have to be on the Isle of Wight no, to have it's that. it's like just think, like your own hometown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That feeling of, of coming back and it being like all the things that you used to defend it from. Yeah. Like, I, I, you I feel very passionate that. about yeah. that, yeah, yeah. So it's, I, I don't go back that often now. I'm actually I'm going back next week, I think. But yeah, no, it's a different it's a different world. But yeah, it's very beautiful. Really great for cycling. So when you started your podcast, you kind of make a jump into the into the unknown. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's interesting that jump was you already had this really wide network that you'd kind of created which was I guess was the kind of mattress that, that caught you yeah. and you jumped and, yeah. you, and then you kind of did like a, a podcast boot camp in the middle like, I like I like I like the fact that you did that you, you so you, I mean when you when you quit to do this or like you didn't know if you could cool. if you didn't know if you could make <laughs> podcasts you just like right I'll teach myself and I'll do it yeah, well, what's really interesting, and I think this is um, gets into your DNA, and I wrote a blog post about this recently, but if you, if you imagine you go to eight years of events, yeah. okay, so when you go to events, what's the whole purpose of events is, like, those kind of inspirational talks. Right. And, you know, if you're the person at the back of the room, and you're basically running around and putting out fires and things like this, not, you know, metaphorical fires, otherwise there'd be no one left in the room, um, <laughs> But at the same time, you are listening to this constant message of, you know, just try things, the whole, like, failing forward idea, you know. And then, well, one really formative book, and, you know, again, it's a bit... I think you can take from it the bits that you like and don't like, but I did read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek. And I think there is... I don't think it's just that book. I think there is something in there that people of our generation as well are going into these 
That's dramatic. I like it. Okay. This is yeah, my, this is my uh... theatre music kind of <laughs> occasionally coming in and uh, <laughs> making a very different kind of tonal uh, experience to um, your but, words. Yeah, it's like the um, like my mantra for life with this kind of operatic background. <laughs> right. But yeah, I think people now, you, you know, you are aware of like how short life is. We have got, we are very, very lucky and you kind of think okay well how do I want to choose that and also then I think I might mention this speech but like things happen in other people's lives I think this is always the way where you're like wow okay and it really makes you focus on what you want and at that time you know I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't just coming home from work and feeling really exhausted and spending that one hour with my child already thinking about work Right. Where it's so busy that you can't even think about the next thing in your life anyway. Yeah, and I was sort of waking up at three o'clock in the morning, like worrying about different ministries of education and what they needed and stuff like this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, the other thing being, I'd done that for nine years. It's not like a decade. So it yeah, seemed like a good block a of time. time to be like, boom. And as someone who works in content, I think, you know, it was really important to keep. Uh, engage and tr- try new platforms of like what's happening and try them out and I, I didn't want to be one of those people that sort of sat there and told other people this is what we should be doing but without the knowledge of I know because I've done it right. it's not very engaging and I think there's a very human thing about wanting to learn right. and actually that's really exciting learn and connect with people properly so yeah, that's how that. All I mean, how out. did you become? How did you get into events in the first place? Mm. Like, what, like no, I don't, I don't, I doubt that you sort of like thought when no. I grow up, I'd like to. Well, no, run but it does seem like. Um, so I did an English degree, which I think anyone listening who's had a similar experience, I think a lot of people end up doing that. But um, what happened was, I did an English degree at the University of Sussex, which I really, really enjoyed. That was the other piece of information I had in my head <coughs> oh, from really? that conversation. I was going to. So yeah. That's the, so, Twice so, you've got so, the jump so on me I went from, research. You know, life on the Isle of Wight, I went and did a gap year and um, spent, I think it was seven months in Malaysia, four of which I was living quite remotely there, so that's not a different to the Isle of Wight, I guess, different, <laughs> different, different scene. But I remember people, so on, on this team where we're doing this voluntary work, and all of these kids were like, you know, um, my age, so teenagers, saying, I really miss Dobles or this or that. And, like, I didn't even know what any of this was. You know, I had, we haven't, didn't even have a Pizza Express, so I was basically, like, socially inept for, like, the whole thing. Yeah, then I went and did an English degree at University of Sussex, really loved it. But I did get to the end of that and living in Brighton, and right. I felt very much like Brighton's great, but everyone here does agree with each other. It kind of gets a bit boring, like, because it's, like, people already know what the agenda is they've already agreed and it's kind of like well where's the you know where's the I like debating things so I mean I, I was going to say it's like a beautiful place the University of Sussex it's, yeah. it's like oh, yeah. in, the, in the countryside itself yeah it's absolutely stunning and then you've got the sea on the Brighton side of it yeah so no, there's, that's, that's a lot of nice things but you came from the Isle of Wight so you, you don't need that stuff as much well I think that's why I liked it because I looked okay. at various places but it was a nice kind of you know, transition. Somewhere in the middle, yeah. And I used to, I actually spent a lot of time cycling out there. So I used to, yeah, just go out the weekend and so, you, you can cycle straight onto the South Downs and go up to Ditching Beacon, things like that. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And then the last, so the module during my degree, one of them was around satire. And I got really into that and 
it was you know even stuff like Art Spiegelman right. yeah like so all so the mouse right from yeah right from really ancient satire right up to kind of modern day and it was really awesome and so then I got really interested in that there was an internship well it's basically you know where you work for TV but for no money like the standard um, entry point yeah. at Talkback Thames and it was I was really interested in this because you know you had Brass Eye all the Chris Morris stuff what else they produce like the IT show yeah lots of the kind of classic satire at that moment the IT crowd the IT crowd that's it yeah and in fact I used to so I was a runner researcher so at one point I had to go and deliver a package to Chris Morris who was now in his I think it was on Wardour Street or Dean Street somewhere in Soho and he was above a dentist because I think after one of the I think it was after the paedophile episode he basically got so much abuse that he had to move he had to go to Spain and then move his office wow yeah of course he would have done yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah so I went and delivered his thing and this you know he's pretty pre intimidating guy so I really loved that but I worked in TV there and then I did some other bits and I basically decided like I'm not willing to sacrifice like 10 years of my life to gamble on through sycophancy whether I'm going to get a career right um, and there are a lot of these industries it's probably changed a little bit and I think the whole what's happened now when you look back like it doesn't surprise me because you know you come in and you just have to work away you have to be in a certain position to be able to pursue that I think and, uh, and so that doesn't mean there's a lot of diversity absolutely you have to be able to afford to work for free generally yeah, yeah and, and it's, then hardly any money for a long free time and basically just like pander to people in this hideous kind of lovey manner which right. I was just like oh, fuck off yeah <laughs> um, you know especially on like development stuff like being in these meetings where people are coming up for ideas for game shows where I just like I can't give a toss for it like it's not really my it's not really my scene like, yeah, I, yeah. I was like this kind of geeky just come out of university like into like research well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, in the conversation I heard on the way here, you said, I love a bit of Chaucer. <laughs> That's not quite game show kind no. of standard. No, so, um, <laughs> and so what happened was, there's the Welsh version of Dirty Sanchez, which was like this, This um, they were a bit like the US one, where the guy basically throws himself off things and... Oh, like Jackass. Jackass, so there's a Welsh version of that. And I got to a point where I had to ask these guys, like, tie string around their testicles as a buzzer for a game show like I obviously didn't do it and I was kind of like well you know I've got first three from Sussex like what the fuck am I doing um, and now I'm tying up someone's balls yeah I mean I'm going to let them do that telling them how yeah. to tie up their balls yeah. and it's you know again really antisocial hours so I thought well, I'm not going to do that and then I went into independent book publishing for a bit and that was the other extreme where it was like really dry shall I wait no no it's fine okay um you know, it was, it was, again, really good, but it was an independent book publishers. It was pre-Kindle, so um, it was privately owned by this guy, and someone mentioned blogging in a, in a board meeting, and he nearly spoured his tea, because, uh, you know, it was... Right. It was um, very staged, should we say. Right. Yeah, so the, the, the audience are coming out of the thing now. Um... So we may have more background sound, although we've had the uh, we've had the uh, staff in the in the pub as well, like uh, talking in the background. So it always happens when I, whenever I sort of say, "Oh yeah, the thing I really hate is someone talking in the background." There's always someone talking yeah. in the background, um, but you know that's just uh, sod's law, I guess. So yeah, that's why it's become a bit more uh, rocking in here because I think the, the music for them to play out from the from the theatre is 
is happening. Would you like to continue here or should we well, see yourself? I don't know, we've, only got, we've got 15 minutes, okay. uh, so we've got to see them. I mean, how, like, we could just go outside, but then how, I mean, how, 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 how affected by cold are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I love the cold. Right, cool. I do too. I'm not, no problem with cold. It has the extra value for me if I can smoke a cigarette. I don't feel like I've told you anything interesting yet. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks that they're interesting because everybody knows their story. So, like, you won't feel this. See, when I tell people that, they always have that kind of reaction. They're like, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, but I'm yeah, pretty sure nice. that I'm the exception. <laughs> this is an interesting thing for me because I'm a very clumsy person and I'm now currently putting my uh, coat on. Yeah, I know, that's the thing. <laughs> Ah, right, here we go. Yeah. So I worked in book publishing, and it was, again, it was great, something I was really keen to get into, but again, I did the the standard, like, I worked in independent book publishers, had about six staff. I did a bit of internship positions at Pearson and others. Then I, in fact, I think my dad maybe even sent me something about Informa. They are a, it's kind of halfway between so it's publishing but it's business like B2B publishing oh, right, so okay. they I don't know if you know there's a big event called Mobile World Congress they're a big research house and they also have an events division so they'll do analysis on the telecom sector and that kind of thing and the geeky side of me I really like that like I liked you know the fact that you do in-depth stuff and you know and there was there was kind of fast kind of access to career development and that kind of stuff so I kind of joined there on a graduate scheme yeah, I worked there for five years, so on things like mobile healthcare and in their um, actual report stuff, writing non-SMS data uptake in Germany reports. Wow. That was, and, and I guess this is all at the time, like the iPhones coming out and stuff like that. So there's quite a lot of change and disruption, and I worked on an event which was about mobile payments, and everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be like contactless, and all of the retailers were like, no, because we'll have to train all of our staff. And, you know, it was a... Uh, it was quite funny because you'd see this and then, you know, obviously three, four. That's <laughs> just like the fairy go- godmothers just landed yeah, I know, in the background. I like it. Um, and, yeah, and so um, I worked there for five years. I kind of worked my way up and then I, I moved to a, a similar company, but the one that did my latter job. And as part of that, I did things like I worked as the event director for the World Architecture Festival. So it's out in Singapore and that was like a big awards around the best architecture in the world and so that was you know just really amazing and I, th- I think the thing with events is you know the common idea sometimes is that you're ordering sandwiches and things like this or that it's quite trite yeah. but actually they can I think there's still something inherent in people like wanting to connect with one another and I consider events anything from like the thing we're going to on Sunday to something like Glastonbury to right. some of the best events out there and I think you know it can be absolutely phenomenal if they're done well, it's an experience that you're yeah, giving to people and so you can do yeah. it kind of like like what you were saying of just order the same sandwiches that everyone gets at events <laughs> and give everyone some stickers and forget about it yeah. or you can do it well and yes. it sounds like you wanted to do it well the thing about events because obviously you can find information online is that it's a shared experience in a moment so right. you create something that's like a real wow factor or like something that is memorable that's really unique to that moment um, and it's also about I think now it's less about going somewhere and people talking at you and it's more about there's amazing people in the audience as well so what are they doing? 
<laughs> this is a real audio assault yeah. assault course I like it though. I, I, like, it, it kind of makes the moment more real like that's the thing yeah so so right so you, and you've been doing this podcast about education and technology and, and the, the way that those two things intersect and how they like it's almost like you know it's a conversation between those two different mm-hmm. things and also often there's conversations on your podcast as well so it's kind of a all around conversation I mean what do you feel at this point like what have you what have you learned what, what, what how would you yeah what are your observations about those two interesting well uh, basically in education uh, you've got like a progressive uh, approach and you've got traditionalists so it's hard not to kind of fall back into into those lines right um, what I've learned through the experience of doing the podcast is like people are incredibly generous there's so much interesting stuff out there and being able to sit and listen to someone or talk to someone for an hour is an incredible privilege because mm. lots of people I talk to are uh, incredibly busy. And what I absolutely love is I generally tend to ask for what kind of books they either love or have been formative for them or you know people they follow on Twitter or resources. So at the end, like, I have this big raft. So at Christmas, I basically, for my Christmas, I just bought all of the books that people had recommended on the podcast to kind of go in and, and, and read about I think the biggest thing as well is when you're thinking about launching something like this there's always like oh but what if this or what if that or what you know and then actually you realise just go and do it and then good things sort of pop up right and it's actually I think there's that whole sounds really stupid again like the analysis paralysis thing where you you, you kind of like plan things to death but actually if you just send one email I think by discussing something with someone you've almost kind of half committed yourself to it happening and that's that's right. my kind of approach to life is like start and then just follow behind what you've started and yeah yeah no that's a, I mean I think that's a really like I th- yeah that, that corresponds quite quite well with my life experience mm. like I always say like you know you book the room and then you have to do it yeah and it's kind of like the same same principle but like you know in any other you know outside of the theatre or whatever yeah it's the same it's the same principle so that's for you doing your doing your kind of events and your performances and that yeah, yeah. that kind of thing like I, I, exactly. I, I set up a, a night called stand up tragedy and I you know it became real once I'd booked the room exactly um, but that. similarly you know when when we did the family tree last year it became real once we'd got the cast and set the yeah. release date and then we had to do it you know and it's not about like this grand idea of success necessarily it's just about you know the conversations and exchanges you'll have right. for getting that cast together and finding right. out about people or like it's the process yeah as well you as learn so much just point, doing, yeah. doing that when you're talking about like the, the kind of divide I guess and you mentioned this as, as well in the in the conversation I, I heard you having today uh, between like traditional mm. and progressive kind of educational approaches and yeah. I guess there's something similar in tech I guess as well yeah. like do you think that both of those sides have have a lot to say would you like them to talk to each other more I do and I think in reality they do they do and people don't necessarily proclaim themselves one or the other right. it's just kind of like historical nicety to be able to say like you're this or you're that Right. but I do think that people are inspired by other people so for example very roughly like the Sir Ken Robinson would be like 
he's very popular with a lot of teachers because he talks to all the frustrations they have and all of those kind of things. Is that very windy? Well, I've got a windsock on it, so that should help a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's got a hat, the robot now. But I think it's like it's like anything. It's like you go on the women's march. I went on the women's march. You go on it to be visible, but there's like masses of nuance in who's there. Right. So I think the same thing with all of these things. Properly speaking, you, you know, you've got people that generally might think, okay, you acquire knowledge through a curriculum and that also is useful because it ties you to all that's gone before and this idea of shared values and that kind of thing. And then you've got people like, okay, well, in this world of abundant access to information, we need to consider the impact that AI is going to have and that kind of thing at one extreme of this conversation. And, you know, making sure that we're engendering this idea of lifelong learning and actually learning in itself and... You know, kids actually not just getting switched off and, and, and not learning just in a classroom, not like you come in, and also not just a teacher. It's obviously part of education, which can be uh, about authority and all of that, and then there's a part which is about is more self-taught and independent. Right. And I think, to be honest, there's, there's bits in between both, and like with something like climate change the problem has been on both sides that you know they refer to data or theorists that have then been unpicked and do you know what I mean and right. it's I think if you start to get authoritarian about whatever stance you've got then you're in trouble because right. it's not that defined no that's an interesting yeah no I, I, I think I agree with that and, and, and as somebody like who's a parent has this informed what you're thinking about in terms of your educational experience for your child? I mean, they're two, so it's a, a little way till they, <laughs> so you even have to really worry about it. But I mean, has it affected how you thought about that sort of stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. I think you know, and also, I go when I go into schools, I get really excited about the opportunities that it's going to have. So I was in a school recently where Japanese EdTech Association were in town. They were visiting a school uh, out in Havering so not too far from here and it was a primary school and in that school they're going to uh, be doing filmmaking projects with four year olds using drones I just thought that wow. is just so amazing wow. yeah and so I'm really excited for him you know and all these things I think the kind of ups and downs of the learning process and he's quite stubborn like me so uh, the frustrations and stuff like that and just building that you know you have to be resilient is that's kind of age you know time old isn't it yeah I think generally speaking there's more opportunity for learning everywhere now so like podcasts TED talks it's not just seen as you go into school and right. you learn the internet itself I feel like yeah. I've learned so much more than I did at university since I started seriously getting into the internet yeah um, not that videos. I didn't learn some stuff at university but I've, I found that the internet suits my learning style more because yeah. I have more control over what I look at and all sorts of things like that which have really helped me I think I yes think. I no, haven't no, been assessed so. so who knows yeah but this <laughs> is the other thing and then this whole idea about assessment and obviously there's the argument standardization having like ranked tests which is useful to some extent but to another extent a country like Finland is always heralded as having this amazing educational success so they start school generally later they have shorter school days and they don't really do a whole sort of standardized testing as some other countries like the US would be at the other end of that right. and obviously it's not necessarily the right thing to 
to translate that across other countries because Finland's a smaller country, higher tax, that kind of thing. But it's quite telling, but I think there's a whole lot of politics involved as well. So right. it's moving things forward slowly. So, but yeah. also we don't, our budgets in the, in the education side of things here are down. So doing yeah. it in a way that you don't just seek the cheapest option because it's the cheapest option because it might be the right thing. Right. Education is a, it's such a complicated place uh, to, yeah. to be looking at. Uh, at the moment, stakes. I mean, I know a lot of my family are kind of teachers, oh, and, really? lot, and my partner works in a primary school, so I'm quite kind of familiar with a lot of the yeah. So she probably or her colleagues would have had to teach coding. Well, she's a she's a, or... a she's a teaching assistant, okay, but yeah. she kind of is, does a bit of teaching here and there. Yeah. But there's definitely coding happening. So my my kind of well, and obviously I'm very new to parenting, but my kind of philosophy on it with him at the moment is. You know, I think the main thing is giving them confidence to be able to, like, you know, because it's it's scary if you don't know something. You're starting right at the beginning, so that that kind of learning appetite, but also doing stuff at home because right. I think whatever school you go in, they're going to have a sort of hopefully a, a, a stronger area. So whether that's like okay, they've gone really academic or they're stronger in the arts yeah. or whatever it is, and everything's changing in the real like in the real world. That real world doesn't really the real world is the world. <laughs> Yeah. But, like, everything is changing so fast that people can't... You know, we have these predictions about AI and which skills are going to be needed and all of these things, but teachers are under a huge amount of pressure as well, just in the day-to-day, just getting, you know, what they're judged on. So it's, you know, you can never cover everything off at school. And I right. think, actually, parents have a massive, you know, onus on them and all of the community as well. It's more like tapping into whatever they are enthused about and just hoping to support that I think yeah yeah I mean that's that's that's, we'll that's what we'll, yeah I mean that's it I mean it like it's interesting what you say as well like it, predictions we have all these predictions and they're great if the yeah, world if ends up the way that they are it's predicted to be but we are in quite an unstable world I think yes. at the moment and it might be that coding and, and even AI even though the white paper needed. came out we exactly. still feel quite unstable right <laughs> right right so it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you this evening in our different soundscapes yeah. in our different kind of uh, sound design which I didn't design happening around us the last question that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug do I have anything to plug? Well, if there are any people either interested in education or technology or both or innovation, then obviously the podcast. <laughs> so uh, you can search for it on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. All podcasting platforms. Okay. It's called the EdTech Podcast. And uh, it's currently about a thousand people listening each, goes out each Sunday. And I'm on Twitter at Podcast EdTech. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the main thing. And uh, thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, it's been brilliant. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say <laughs> goodbye to the audience. Okay, goodbye, audience. It was nice uh, speaking to you. And um, I'd love to hear from you if you're listening to this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Bye. Bye bye. You can. Follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.